Hey, before we get started today, I just wanted to let everyone know about our big self-leadership accelerator. It's a big program that we're launching on October 4th. Signups are beginning today. It's finally happening. It's our 10-week program designed for proactive leaders who want time-tested strategies to accelerate their personal growth, their team, and their company. It's in a group setting, small groups. We'll also go over the Enneagram system and the seven traits of effective leadership to become the inspiring, empowering, and bold leader that your team needs you to be. It's not a typical leadership development program. Uh, It's going to be very exciting. We would love to have you be a part of the small but growing community to see how you could be more effective as a leader at your organization. And to find out more details for this limited space, go to bigselfschool.com backslash B-S-L-A. Okay, Richie, you are at the other the, the side of my screen that goes first. So we'll start with you. Yeah, my name is Richie Daigle. I'm a sales executive with Freight Waves and uh, how I learned that I'm a five, um, you know, back in college, I would read books, you know, theology and philosophy. And if I found something that I liked, I would find out who that author was influenced by. And I would then go and read all of those authors. And of those that I liked, I would find out who influenced them. And I would go read those authors. And so I just kept kind of digging through thought. And I was trying to figure things out. You know, I'm a young college student that's wanting to learn everything. Um, and then I discovered Richard Rohr eventually after years of doing this. And uh, through talking with some friends uh, and then also, you know, reading and engaging with some of Richard Rohr's work, I discovered the Enneagram. So I started taking some of these tests and I was like, well, what am I? I'm really curious now. What is my number? You know, I figured out my Myers-Briggs type and all of that stuff at, at some point and um, I first tested and I forgot what I came back as, but I was like, that doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I tested again and I started reading about each of the types. I don't know how many times I took that test and I would always come back with different numbers. And I was like, why is it doing this? Am I weird? And do I have multiple personality syndrome or something like what's going on? And then, um, the more and more I engaged with it, the more I read about it, the more I learned it started to settle that I'm a five. Like I started thinking about how I behave and what my past actions, what my tendencies are. Um, I started, some of my test results came back. So I was five more often. And yeah, so that's, that's where I am today, but long answer as maybe typical for some fives, but yeah. (laughs) I love that. I have to say though, too, real quick, like I could not get fives to get on the podcast. Like, and maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm so grateful for you all saying yes. Conserving their energy, because maybe. Because they didn't, I, I mean, none of them, were, they were like, mm, no, I don't think so. So I'm really grateful for you guys stepping into this conversation. So Chris, tell us about you. Right. So I, uh, I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm a pastor at United Methodist Church. I also do executive coaching, leadership coaching. And um, how I discovered the Enneagram probably about five years ago, I was burning out in my ministry and I was struggling and I was probably at the bottom of where I was. And I I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to get out of that moment. 
I had heard about the Enneagram and had been um, really kind of, um, you know, really kind of indifferent about it because people were using it as code language. People were putting people in boxes and fives. We don't like to be put in boxes. We like to believe just how unique we are in the world. Right. See, that's a dog and that dog's a five. <laughs> that dog agrees. That's exactly right. So uh, thank you. Thank you for the amen in the background. Um, <laughs> But, but actually, I learned my type because it was pathological. Like whenever I was reading through the material, I was doing it and I, I identified myself from the deepest and darkest parts, from the mm. sense of paranoia to the seclusion and, and reclusion that comes as a part of being a five. And so that's how I determined my type. So did you know instantly, Chris, or is it something that took a while? No, I, I knew. Once, once I started reading this, I, I began to say to myself, oh, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay, my brain's lying to me. Now I see why I'm in this place. And it all kind of clicked about all the ways that I was stuck in my life in the moment. And it was mm-hmm. all of the coping skills that fives use on steroids. <clears throat> and so that was, that was really helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah, good. Thank you. If, and if I may, because I know Richie, and before we dive into some of your other questions, I don't think we the, our audience has probably heard Richie. You've had a pretty unusual background yourself. You've, I, as I understand, I, I remember you've been a travel agent for quite a while. You were also a minor league pitcher, but uh, you also went to college. So, could you tell us, like, in understanding your fiveness through some of these different background experiences? Did you continue to think of yourself? Like, how does your fiveness interpret and, and work through some of those, um, some of your background? Yeah, that's a great question. So, like, with, with baseball, my biggest strength was also my biggest weakness in that I was very heady <laughs> and I could get, and, and when I was not healthy, I could get stuck in my head and kind of not able to get out of some funk or figuring out some mechanics or, or, or something of the like. However, when I was at my healthiest, I was really understanding things at like a, a different level um, and kind of in this flow where everything just made sense and um, felt like I was just breezing through the game, so to speak. So, and the same thing with uh, selling, you know, bike tours and hiking tours, it was more trying to understand the ins and outs of every single component of a travel experience. And like, I, I had this need, like I didn't feel comfortable talking about travel or selling travel until I really understood all the ins and outs. And, um, I think that's another thing that kind of clued me off that I think I'm a five. This feels like a characteristic of a five. It sounds like a characteristic, <laughs> at least what I'm learning about, about fives. So you're, you're talking a little bit about, um, being in the, the, the center of intelligence. So we are actually starting our, our uh, mental types, the head types, the next three. So type five, six, and seven. So you all are helping us kick that off. So as a heart, so Chad and I are both heart types. So I really want to learn from you all what it's like being a head type. And I've had people try to explain it and report on it. I think what, how you just talked about it, Richie, was really helpful um, but I know, you know, you, there's a lot of mental capacities, a lot of um, analysis, um, taking and receiving and giving information through thinking and through thoughts. Um, but it also sounds like there's a rapidity of think of thoughts. And so I really want to g- just hear from you all what it's like being a head type. 
You want to start with Chris? Either one. Yeah. Whoever. Jump in. Okay. I think for me, the way I, the way I understand my, my sense and, and the use of my center in, of intelligence, I, I'll, talk from, I'll talk about it from the opposite way. It's a disconnection from my heart and body. So it's an overuse of trying to understand and mentalize and conceptualize and frame in my mind the world as a way to understand it to be safe. And to be able to make assumptions about it that help me navigate without using energy, without overextending myself, without over, um, without revealing too much of myself, and and so really the the center of intelligence is in one way is a disconnection from the heart and the body, and and so navigating the world without my heart being engaged or or without it being walled and protected and without my body being fully present and sensing what's happening in the moment. Um, so it just leaves my head. And so that allows me to protect myself. It allows me to be disengaged. It allows me to give space. It's almost like that, you know, whenever they started doing um, uh, uh, playbacks on sport, I mean, on TV, right? They don't do straight up experience because you never know what's going to happen. So there's a five second delay that's built into everything now so that they can edit out or do what needs to be done. And that ability for the mental type to be able to just lead with our heads as a way to protect ourselves and understand things. That's, that's kind of how I experience the world. So whenever I, when I find myself starting to do a lot of mental work, ah, oh, I'm working too hard. Why am I working so hard? And usually there's a reason why my head is hurting or my intensity is up or I've gotten into that place. That's, that's a roundabout way to talk about it, but that's just yeah, one that's of the ways. really that's good. That feels yeah. clear. It feels very uh, feels very different from my experience. Um, but yeah, I, I get it. I can understand that a little bit more. Richie, how about you? Yeah, it's I, I feel all of that. Uh, I think that was very well said, Chris. And I feel this desire as well to really understand the reality of the world and how it functions and like apart from what I think or how I feel or how it impacts me or, or anybody, I just wanted to understand like what is really happening and what's really going on. And there's a quote that um, I think my cousin told me recently, he said, and he's a deep thinker as well. He said, uh, you know, simple answers to complex problems are almost always wrong. <laughs> and so mm. I have this, you know, everything is complex. And if I feel like there's a simple question or, or a simple answer that gets said to, to something, it's, it's hard for me to accept that. I feel like I need to take into account all the different variables in the equation and try to best understand um, any type of issue. And that can be engaging at times when you have a deep conversation with somebody where you can really go down all the rabbit holes can always it can also be frustrating um, when I hear something that is just a simple answer to just move on. And I'm like, well, no, it's more complex than that, and we really need to go down deeper. Um, and that can be a bit of a, a frustration. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, I, Chris. I don't know what your thoughts are there. If you've had those experiences and thoughts as well, but yeah, I really appreciate that, Richie. As you were as you were saying that, what came up for me was. Um, Probably the way my ego creates and wants to feel connection is 
kind of what you said, if there's a complex structure, if there's like, you know, a spider web or a fractal or something that's complicated, there's almost a sense that my mind can just ease and be a, be consumed in that. And in some ways, that's bliss, right? So for a five to be able to fall into complexity and absorb it at a really deep and high level, that feels like bliss in my experience of a five, right? So that that's probably the way... I would assume that a heart type would want to fall into a relationship or a feeling or a space and just kind of give themselves to that, right? Like a doing body type would want to get lost in action, right? Or get lost in the flow of doing. Anything that can be broad enough and big enough and deep enough for a five to kind of lose our mental selves in can offer us a sense of bliss and connection that we miss out when all the centers of intelligence are probably engaged. I don't know, Richie. And for you, that's what it was coming up to me as you were kind of giving some of that description. I also love, Chris, how you mentioned a minute ago, though, it's also <clears throat> almost there's a safety in it oh, yeah. and almost like an imprisoning in some ways because it cuts off from the heart. So the more I can be in that blissful place of complexity, is it as simple as the more that I'm then disconnected from my heart? Is that kind of the kind of the operating strategy of a five? If I stay in my head, it's safer there. And so I'm eager to be in these kind of complex, deeper thinking processes because it's just uncomfortable to, to feel. It's hard to trust. I think that it's, um, I question myself a lot. I might know a lot about a specific um, topic, but if I suddenly have a gut feeling one way or the other, I find myself checking that. I have to question that. I have to process that. I have to analyze that gut feeling before like really acting on it. It's hard to just immediately move on a gut feeling and there's almost like this dialogue that needs to happen first. And so looking back, I, I you know, life is best understood when you're looking backwards, but we have to live it going forwards, right? And so um, looking back, I've definitely noticed times in my life, it's like, why didn't I just go with my gut? Like <laughs> this month would have been a whole lot better, but instead I processed things. And then during that time I lost out on some opportunity. Um, but yeah, there's always this kind of friction there between the gut and the mind. Well, let's talk a little bit about these definable characteristics of a type five. And so we're talking specifically about being a head type, but there's also a few more, um, and I, you know, I think these are kind of behaviors, I guess, that we associate with the type five, but also some, I think, deeper core motivations. So the ones that I found that I really think are probably true, and I want to hear what you guys think, centrality of thinking would be one, emotional detachment is another one, fear of engulfment, which I think is most fascinating that I'd love to get your perspective on autonomy and self-sufficiency and then hypersensitivity. So underneath, I think the, the mental workings, um, I'm learning that there's a lot of sensitivity for type fives. Um, so talk about those a little bit, how they show up for you, um, in your life and your leadership, um, and then maybe would you add any more, any more definable characteristics for you as a five?
Oh, you're on mute. Oh, Richie, you're on mute, bro. I see Chris pointing at me, so I will. I will <laughs> down here. Five is going. Who's going next? Yeah, <laughs> um, so true. Great questions. Uh, so the the thing that comes out to me is you know that that fear of engulfment, which is I I get the feeling that we have to have a, a certain sense of control, and even if, even though we may be speaking of uh, the importance of being uncomfortable or, or not having to have control, we still have this underlying fear of controlling at least the knowledge or, or you know, what's going on with the situation. And I think that when that control starts to fade away or when information is too much to, to process, it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like almost like drowning almost, like I can't mm -hmm. keep track of everything that's going on or coming at me. Um, self-sufficiency, yes, <laughs> and autonomy, uh, definitely feel that I feel like those are definitely a characteristic and hypersensitivity. I think a lot of that for me comes from, if I feel like I'm trying to explain a complex issue and maybe I'm not doing a great job of explaining it or whoever I'm speaking with isn't understanding and they're critical, if that criticism is, is coming from a place of not really understanding things the same way that can really spike some frustrations and some sensitivities. And, um, so yeah, there, there, there is some hypersensitivity there that, that comes along. And then with detachment, I think is also a, a, a definable characteristic. Um, and there's pros and cons to that. And I don't want to go too deep into all of these, but, um, yeah, as far as adding a characteristic, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the ping pong ball back over to Chris while I think on adding characteristics, <laughs> if that's all right. Yeah. Can sure. I ask you real quick, Richie, too, like you mentioned with baseball, how kind of the, the mental, the, the processing can, is a, your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. How do some of these like engulfment or autonomy or hypersensitivity, maybe to criticism, how has some of that shown up in your leadership? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've taught baseball lessons for 15 years now. Um, and so I'm thinking about it in that situation, like from the, the, the standpoint of teaching and the standpoint of kind of leading small groups in that, in that regard. Um, yeah. And, and it's come up with like the hypersensitivity, like I can sense it, there's, there's pros and cons to that. So one, I can sense when somebody's frustrated or a student is frustrated before they're really showing it. And so I can kind of get ahead of some things and I can start better understanding when some uh, different frustrations are coming out and ask questions to bring that to the surface and, and help people work through it. So that's hypersensitivity can be really helpful in, in reading people and reading situations and taking in a lot of information and quickly processing it as far as feeling internally, like I, I can sense like some frustrations as a leader when somebody is, is not responding or if I'm trying to, you know, explain something in great detail and I'm not getting the response that I'm hoping for or thinking that I should be getting. 
Um, now it's like, okay, here's this equation that's really long, complex equation. And I've applied, accounted for all these variables and I very well should be getting this result and I'm not getting that result. Why? And then that, that sort of thing will, will drive me bonkers. <laughs> it can be incredibly frustrating. Um, so in that regard, that's, and then going back to like when I was a player, it's the same sort of thing. Like if I account for all the, if I process things as best as I can, I'm not getting the result that I'm looking for. Like what's going on. Um, but at the same time, oftentimes that has a positive result too. So. Yeah, I think as I, as I was kind of pondering that while, while Richie was kind of sharing his thoughts, a couple of thoughts came up to me. I think for fives, um, that sense of engulfment. So I, I imagine that, that for me as a five, it's kind of like walking out on a frozen pond and not being sure if the ice can hold. And so I'm always kind of testing ahead of me to see if I can hold the situation or if the person can hold the situation, because the last thing I want is more emotion than I expect. The last thing I want is to be caught in a moment whenever I'm not ready or when I'm not sure about what's going to happen. Because the, the, the conundrum for a five is we don't want people to be distant, no matter how elusive we are. And we don't want people too close, no matter how much we long for it. And so we play this kind of red light, green light game of who's close, who's too close, who's, what could that mean? Is distance bad? So we're hypersensitive to how people and things move in our lives because we're always measuring if we're going to be able to hold up to that moment. Because in our childhood somewhere, I believe in, in mine, whenever I got that wrong, it hurt. Either I was engulfed and overwhelmed or I was ignored and, and left to myself. And so instead of having to play the game of all of that, I just wall off. So I'm elusive because I can't play that game. It's, I didn't do it well when I was a kid. I didn't, and I haven't perfected it as an adult. So it's easier for me to wall off and be detached and play the mental game of life and relationships than it really is to be open to things. So in leadership, you know, that, that plays out in all sorts of things. So fives can show up and be detached and objective, but that's ego, right? Like the reason we're detached and objective is because we've compartmentalized our lives to protect ourselves. And so we show up as only a part of who we are in a moment. And, and so we can think through things, but we're always kind of testing the moment. Can we show up? Can we not? And what's going to happen? So we're hypersensitive in that, in my experience of myself. And, and so that really keeps me in that thinking place because it keeps me analyzing to test the moment and to anticipate it, right? So whenever I'm in unhealthier levels, I can just really do a lot of mental energy about what could go wrong. How could this show up? And then I end up, you know, ghosting people or, or not showing up for things because I've determined whether it's true or not, that it's not something that I can handle in the moment. Um, so that fear of engulfment, emotional attachment, that hypersensitivity, and, and because we wall off, boundaries are tough, right? So we can't do, we haven't learned how to negotiate healthy give and take boundaries, most of us as fives. So we wall off places. And, and so that sense of autonomy and self-sufficiency is we never want to be beholden to somebody who will have to force us to be somewhere 
that we'll have that we'll have to confront our fears or we'll have to do something that we're not practiced at. So I would much rather lop off my arm and then to be able to allow someone to put me in a situation that I'm going to be surprised or overwhelmed in or have that sense of being ignored or abandoned in. And and so that sense of self-sufficiency is just that commitment to not be forced to be put in a situation because probably for many fives, for some fives, for me, when I was a kid, I didn't have a choice. I was, I was in situations that I couldn't choose how I was being treated or what I was experiencing because I didn't have the tools at that time. So it's hard for me to believe at this time in my life that I have the tools to handle that, that I can show up, that I can feel the feelings, that I'm not nine years old anymore and I can do that work. I don't know if that... Tell me how that lands for you guys. I don't. That is really it's helpful. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fact, suddenly I'm like, I think I know a few more fives than <laughs> I thought I did. But yeah. Let's. So, uh, Richie, I don't know if you wanted to respond to any any of that, but let, I'm going to throw this out there because um, the red light, green light. I am really interested in that, um, and I get, I can. I, can, I think I can track what you all are saying. Um, kind of this testing. You know, we we talk about in the Enneagram world, we talk about the, the head types, the head triad as fear, fear-based is kind of the the reckoning emotion that a lot of the head types have to work through. And so for fives, um, I've heard our teacher Uranio talk about the fear of feeling. And so there's this unpredictability, um, which I think you're talking about, Chris. So as, as someone who may be living with the five, we don't know, but fives in our lives, like that red light, green light, where there's a testing and there's like this, like, can I come in or should I stay out? What do you all need from people in your life, whether it's a partner or a friend or a colleague? Like, how do we best navigate that red light, green light, like coming in and giving you space in a way that that honors and preserves not only you all, but the relationship as well. Richie? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, you know, while Chris was talking, I thought of one more characteristic, and I think it kind of goes into this question, but I feel like a lot of us fives, for all of the things that Chris just said, which resonate with me as well, we're misunderstood. We're easily misunderstood. And like, I, I hear from friends constantly, like, you're really hard to buy Christmas gifts for. I have no idea what to get for you. And and even from like close family members and um but anyways like going into like what what we need and i I think that because we're so easily misunderstood it's important that somebody you know really listens even if i don't have much to say or um even if i'm not all that respondent or i'm being more distant there's this nuance between like asking questions because someone's trying to get information because I feel like I'm trying to be controlled or I feel like I'm somebody is like their interests are behind the questions that are being asked versus like a line of questions that more are coming from a place of wanting to understand me or what's happening. There's a small little nuance in that type of questioning that I can, Chris, I don't know if you pick up on that, but I feel like I pick up on that really quick. And that, that is all the difference in the world with whether I continue to stay walled off. Like, I feel like you're just trying to ask questions to pull information out of me for the purposes of like 
whatever thing that you have that I don't understand and I don't haven't figured out yet. And I don't know how that's going to impact me and my emotions. And now, so I just keep on walling out um, versus like a line of questions where I feel like I can send out a lifeline and, and can trust that and feel safe. Um, like I'm trying to be understood. And I think there's this little nuance in how I'm approached in those situations that can make all the difference in the world. And yet the person who's asking these questions, it might be the same person that came with me with both line of questions. They're like, I asked you questions last time and I got a completely different response from you. Why are you like, you just so reserved. And then this time you opened up like, what is going on? And it, yeah, I, Chris, I don't know if the, uh, that's what comes to mind for me. And it's so small. <laughs> There's so Settle. many nuance there. Right. I, so I, I'm just going to have to confess. So Richie, I, I would do this a hundred times with you, man. I love being on this call with you. Um, I, I, so yes, because we had people that encroached on our boundaries when we were kids, at least I did, I can sense that a mile away. Oh, you're being nosy. Oh, you're, you don't really don't care about me. There's something you need from me. Like I can sense that, like I can see it in somebody, right? So somebody walked up to me at work, somebody come on like, oh yeah, they don't care about me. This isn't about me. This is all about what they're going to need. And and that's fine. I, I do have to confess, right? Like the thing is a five, for me, I need to be special. Because my boundaries were crossed as a kid and because people, I was ignored and kind of felt abandoned, my ego needed to feel special to be able to have some internal structure to give myself space at that time. So my ego needs me to be special. So I'll play poker with people all day long and never show them my cards about what I feel, about what's, a, I'll give them a piece of information, but not all the information I'll withhold, I'll give, because some of it's, I have to confess this, man. Some of it's about that, but some of it is about the piece that I need. I need to leave breadcrumbs for people as a way of testing if they're going to stay or not. And I need to leave enough room in my own head when I'm in my personality to be special enough to feel like I have a place in the world. So I need to be really smart about something. I need to be mysterious somehow. I need to be elusive and I need you to chase me a little bit. You know, and so so I have to confess that in some of those ways of showing up in the world, there's some ego because I really am like everybody else. I really do have feelings. I have no idea how to handle them. You know, like everybody else has like a color palette of 32 or 100 words. I have primary colors. I'm sad. I'm happy. I don't <laughs> I don't I don't have the emotional vocabulary to handle feelings really well. But now I can talk about mental concepts like I'm reading an encyclopedia. Mm. Do I know what my body feels like? Maybe a little more than my heart, but not much more. And so, so some of that is, is an elusive game that I have to play within myself to, 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 to justify my own ability to live in the world and to do what I do and to be able to handle what I need to handle. Um, because some of that stuff is the game that we need to play. So in terms of partners and relationships and things like that, I think, you know, following along, Richie, for me, I need somebody who can be understanding and allow me to feel and be and work through things that for them may be like, what are you doing? Like, give me some space and respect the fact that I'm trying to feel emotions and do that work and grow. And you're not going to put that down or undermine it or 
or belittle it because mm. I feel like a nine-year-old kid when it comes to my feelings, right? So give me some space. Mm. The other thing too is, and I, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it just feels right. I need somebody who's not going to play the game with me, who's just going to go, screw it, Chris. Like, get over it. You're a grown man. You can handle this. So show up. Like if for me as a partner, I need someone who's who's not going to give in to my brooding, who's not going to be swayed when I'm playing those games and, and trying to like be elusive and kind of a victim in my own life kind of world. I need somebody who's going to come in and say, are you good? Are you feeling what you need to feel? Come on. I know you can do it. I'm here when you're ready to have that conversation. Because mm-hmm. I think within me as a five, I like to be called up to the moment about what's happening, even when I'm not, I'm not practiced at it. Now that's me in growth, right? Like in personality, there's no way I'd show up for that. Like that would be too frightening. It would be too vulnerable. But I think as I've tried to do more growth work, I enjoy being called up into the moment more and, and getting there in ways that, you know, four or five years ago, there's no way I could have imagined it. Mm. I don't know how that lands, but that's just me. And I'm, I'm sorry if I used words I shouldn't have used on the podcast. No, everything you're saying is totally awesome. So, hey, you, Chad needs to leave. Let's hit a literal pause button just so like there's a little bit of like space so that I can just cut this little part. He has to take but, our daughter to the yeah, orthodontist. I've got a, a, an important <laughs> meeting that I have to attend to. I don't have over any of the settings. So whatever you want to do. Yes. Yeah. Totally- Thanks guys. This has already been great. Um, love for prote- Nice to meet you, Chris. Um, yeah. and, uh, good to see you, Richie. <clears throat> Have another good few minutes okay, here. You guys well. are killing it. Um, yeah, this is great. And usually I'm know. the only one that's been doing the podcast, but he wanted to, to jump in on this one. So, Thanks. but Thanks, he, has, he does have to leave. I totally get it. Um, so I want to, we've kind of talked a little bit about, um, both of you all have mentioned the passion of avarice, uh, uh-huh. in a couple different ways, which is this kind of, uh, I think of it almost as intellectual greed, <laughs> like the, the information hoarding that I think fives do. Um, our teacher B says that avarice is the holding back and holding in a hoarding of time, space, and resources out of a fear of impending impoverishment. She explains it's not so much about greediness as it is about like a retentiveness to hold on to what you already have and to be economical with what, what you main, what you have, what you kind of um, have within you. Uh, And it's out of a fear of depletion. So this, it's so interesting to me. I think the two, I'm a type two. And so the two and the five kind of, they sit very kind of almost diametrically opposed on the Enneagram symbol. Um, And that's why this is so fascinating to me. So that, because I'm so other referencing, I'm so out there. I'm so like, like putting it all, like the idea of retention and out of fear of depletion is so fascinating to me. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about how that shows up for you a little bit deeper. And then the, the virtue of non-attachment. Um, you know, if you live in personality and that's the passion is avarice, so the virtue is non-attachment, which is when you don't only attach to what you already know and have, but you open up to everything that is new. And in non-attachment, your heart is open to giving and receiving and you're in sync with the flow of life. Um, that's from Uranio. So talk to me about how this intellectual greed or retention. And then um, if you're pursuing 
growth as a five through the virtue of non-attachment, how does that show up in your life? So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with the avarice. Um, I think, uh, I think fives and I'm, I'm speaking about myself, but I think it may apply to, um, to fives, but I think we're all kind of like icebergs and that what, what's above the water is we feel like is massively dependent on all that is underneath the surface. And so there's this need to have enough mass of knowledge and everything underneath the surface that we don't say to support what is above the surface that is seen. And I got, I remember reading an article about the, the writers for the show lost and lost was this really fun show that I enjoyed quite a bit because it was, you know, all these complexities and mysteries and whatnot, but they wrote this, the massive, this massive storyline where they, tied off all the loose ends, but everything that came out in the Purdue show was just the very tip of the iceberg of what they wrote. And that made my heart warm. <laughs> like I just, that, I, that resonated with me and I love that so much, but I think that's kind of where it comes from. It's not so much like a greed's like a strong word that makes me feel like there's more to it. And it's more like a support. I feel like whatever I'm showing needs to be supported by all that I'm not and all this information and knowledge that I'm able to, to pull and gather. Um, and with the, the attachment, it's, it, it can become, you know, as, as I'm detached, it can become easy to take on new concepts and new ways of thinking and new, I'm open to new information. And like scientifically, if someone says like, here is a really strong argument that's backed by all of these sources and I dive into it, I'm open to that. And I, I'm not going to, you know, I think some types may hold on to certain positions from like an emotional standpoint or like I feel connected to this way of thinking. Whereas if you give me a rational explanation for thinking differently, I will, I will consider it. Um, and so there's a benefit there, but at the same time, there's also some some, you know, not so great things that come from being easily detached as well. So, um, anyways, yeah. It, yeah. Good. Thank you. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. yeah I think, um, kind of in that vein, I was, I forget where I was, but this idea of being prepared is really important for me. And, and I find as I have conversations with other fives being prepared, and I was in a conversation with somebody one time and they said, you know, in terms of information and understanding and all of that, sometimes you're not going to know until you get there what you need or what the answer is. Sometimes you need to be there with other people within the moment to get the answer that you're going to need to show up. For me as a five, my attention doesn't go that way. My attention says I can't trust that what I need is going to be there when I get there. So I I withhold, it's kind of like watching that, that your gas meter in your car, right? Like when you start watching that thing, take that, I have no idea where the next gas station is. I have no idea when I'm going to get there. So you start watching that thing go down and then you get down to empty and you're like, the light comes on and you're like, how many miles do I have left? Like what's going to happen? Like how? And so your attention and your focus as a five for me goes to that. So if I'm not being conscious of what's happening, I'll find myself focusing on on what's happening and intuitively begin to ration 
presence to people, ration my energy and attention to people, ration, you know, whatever it is in those moments, because I'm not sure as I'm kind of watching the day progress, as I'm kind of anticipating things that whatever it is that I need is going to be there when I show up. And, and so that attention just creates this contraction and this, and this just intuitive withholding. Whenever I had kids, I, I remember, you know, um, they, I, I'd come home and I'd be doing something after work and they'd be like, Dad, where are you? Well, I'm in the room. Well, why aren't you in here with us? Well, I'm just in the room. And, and what I was doing was I was intuitively contracting and pulling away from my family because I didn't believe I had the energy to be able to be present with my children at the time. So, and that happens everywhere. Like when I walk through a room, I can avoid people intuitively so I don't have to expend energy. So I can walk through a room of a hundred people and not talk to a single person and them not have the opportunity to talk to me because I'm silently and intuitively and unconsciously avoiding them. It's almost like the virtue could almost be trust is, is what I'm hearing is this yes, non-attachment, like I'm going to detach or non-attach from um, the need to be right or the need to know, maybe that's the better way of saying it. But it's almost like I can be in the flow of in the sink of life if I trust. So it is non-attachment, but there is something, it sounds like deeper that tethers a five to the truth or to the the flow, the sink, which is I trust how I'm going to be able to show up and I trust my environment to support how I'm going to be able to show up. Now, the one, go ahead, Richie, you were going to say something. I was just going to say, you know, what you were saying about <laughs> just avoiding people as you're walking through a room. I do that all the time. I can see people that I know. And for me, it's like, I don't want to have the awkward small talk. The small talk thing is not anything that I enjoy. I feel awkward. It's it, if I have a 15 second conversation or a two minute conversation, I'd rather just not have a conversation and I'll just storm through a room. <laughs> and so, um, and it's, it's amazing that the energy for small talk seems so much greater than the energy needed to like go deep down some rabbit hole, like over two beers in an hour. And right. that's so counterintuitive, but it, it feels that way. So before I, I want to talk a little bit about flow for a second, so, but I want to, I want to own something that I think maybe it's true for me. And I don't know if it lands for Richie or other fives. But that there's a contraction and a rejection. And, and so I generate indifference about things. So in my personality, in order to protect myself and justify some of the ways that I avoid things or don't make decisions about things or don't show up for things, is I intuitively generate an indifference about them. Now, if I were open to life more, if I were in the flow of things, then I could have opinions and I could, I could sense nuance and I could do that. But in my personality, I generate indifference to a lot of life. Now, that's not always objectivity. That's indifference. And, and sometimes that plays a game in the way that I operate. So sometimes five, if for me as a five, I'll generate indifference about a person, about a situation, about a decision as a way of withholding as a way of not showing up and as a wall. 
So I, I just wanted to. Of that it sounds like is because I'm I'm not sure I can trust. Yeah, well, I'm not. I can't trust myself, and, and that I'm going to show up here on so many levels, okay. at least. And and because I can't trust myself, I can't trust you, mm-hmm. and I can't trust the world, and I can't trust the universe, and all of that. So I'm going to generate a wall of indifference and show up in ways that push people back. So if it, tell me this. So if you're in the moment and you're going, you're in flow with in sync with whatever's happening, it's happening. And Richie, you've, you said the awkwardness of the small talk. And I've heard of um, folks that I know who are fives talk about that. Like, I just feel awkward. I feel different. I feel like people don't understand me. Like, I don't want to be weird. What happens in that moment? Like if you go under a couple layers underneath, like the core, core, core (laughs) motivation, and maybe it's unconscious, I don't know. But if I let myself show up and be in spontaneous kind of flow and I feel awkward or unprepared, like what happens? Like what's the, the core fear that's going on there? That's a great question. And it's, it's situational, but I, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to, this is going to seem like it's, I'm going down a, a, a side path, but I'll, I'll bring it back. I think as for me as a five, like if I walk in, I need to know an exit strategy for any situation and I need to know an exit strategy for any like interaction that I'm having with another person. Like that's, that helps me know like, okay, we have this much time or that here's how it's going to go and here's how it's going to end. And, and okay, I can fill in the blanks. I think these spontaneous small talk situations, like if I have a lot of things going on that day and other things that I have to get to, and I've already planned out and filled in all of the gaps and problem solved and for, for point A to point B to that exit, and now something unexpected is brought into that equation, I ran into somebody that I know at the grocery store, then I don't trust myself. Like, I feel like I'm going to want to have a 30 minute conversation and it's going to derail my day or, um, but it, it feels awkward and not fair to just say, Hey, how you doing? How's this? And there's no authenticity there. So there's a lack of connection. And so you, you you just want to ignore, you know, or, or, or steer a different way. So I think there's this fear of not making the best of the situation or that interaction or not being my best or not, or not, you know, being able to engage with somebody as well as I have the potential to. Um, so I, I think as fives, like we want to get the, for me is get the absolute most out of every possible situation, as much information, as much depth, as much connection, as much authenticity. And if I can't like, maximize that then it's it i tend to swing over to the indifference it's either like all in or all out and like navigating the middle ground is terrifying sometimes <laughs> so clear so clear that's good yeah thank you yeah i, I think in, in my work i think one of the things that i've really tried to do um is anytime i feel like my head is over engaged i really try to kind of cut that off and so when I, cause I, you know, working in the work that I do and all over, I meet people all the time and I run into people all the time. So, so part, part of my work is 
when I'm with somebody, now this is counterintuitive to a five, right? Like fives don't ever face people. We don't ever look people in the eyes for long periods of time. We try not to touch people. We don't want people to touch us, right? Like it's whatever we can do. So I, I think for me, it's as I've tried to trust more, I've tried to think less, feel more, pay attention to my body. So when I show up to people, I just feel. And and because I've been trying to do work around allowing myself to open up to people. So when I stand across from somebody, I try, I, I really, I, what does it feel like to love this person? Like, what does it feel like to be here and listen to them for 15 or 20 seconds or for a minute? And, and to be able to go, I, I really appreciate this. I really have to go over here, but thank you for sharing your time and your energy with me. I really, so that's all practice. And that's all energy. But what I've learned to become come more to trust is, is that whatever I need in the moment, if I just open up, see what depletes me as a five is I'm protecting myself all the time, right? I'm playing all these mental games. I'm running scenarios. I'm doing all this other work. And that's just depleting my energy. But if I show up and trust, you know what? If I don't want to cry, I won't cry. If I don't want to have this conversation, I can stop it. If I want to stay longer, I can linger. If I feel connected, if this person's mad, that's great. I don't have to take that energy on and I don't have to give them all of my energy. I get to make decisions about all the energy that I have. And in my growth, I, I felt like I can be more present. I can show up with more energy. There's more energy there than I want to believe, right? So it's, it's realizing that I'm playing tricks on myself and that many times the truth is there's more than enough whenever I show up into a place. And, and, um, and so learning to live into that, like showing up this morning, right? Like being here, I hadn't even read the questions. I didn't know what we were going to do. I thought I'm just going to be present and then just let things flow and, and trust the moment and whatever it needs to be is what it is. And that's, I couldn't have done that a few years ago. I, I would have read the questions. I would have written things out. I would have anticipated, I would have been here. I'd have analyzed all of this. But I, but I wouldn't have been able to enjoy Richie's energy and, and to be able to feel him through this. I wouldn't be able to see your care and your emotion and your attentiveness. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been able to feel that and know that that's going to hold me in this moment with you. And, and so that's kind of how that work kind of sounds like for me. right I now. love it. I love it. I want you all um, for the last thing I want to talk about is just growth. Like what growth and Chris, you're talking about it a little bit, what growth looks like for five, um, maybe your own growth path, like what you have been like, con consistently kind of intentionally working on. Um, in the Enneagram world, we talk a lot about using our wings, which for you all would be the, the six and the four, um, using our arrows, which for you all is the seven and the eight, I believe. Um, and so really give us a glimpse into what your specific growth path looks like, and then maybe what you right now even looking forward, know that your growing edge is like, what are you working on, you know, from this point forward? I, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's easy for us. And I'm, I'm going to, I was thinking while Chris was talking that I was thinking in the same way that, that you were there, Shelly. So your question leads straight into the thoughts that I had going through my head while Chris was talking, but, um, it's easy for me to get stuck in these feedback loops internally within my head. And so if I'm too much in my head, 
then I start shutting out external information and people and I just get stuck in some sort of self-fulfilling concept. And that can be bad. That can be disconnected from reality and that can cause problems. So it's important from a growth perspective to start considering other people and putting other people ahead of my lack of comfort or, you know, that, that seems to be the magic bullet for, for getting myself out of those feedback loops is to start really considering another person who, if it's someone I'm talking to, if it's somebody I'm doing a project for, if it's, if I'm in a meeting, whatever that interaction is, that can allow me to listen more intently and more actively and really try to grasp and understand um, all that's coming at me and avoid the assumptions that may be building in my head that are creating like a feedback loop where I might, that ego part of me might say, I'm really good at reading people and now I can just read this situation and now I've missed something because I'm just in my head. So it's really important for me to, to, you know, from a growth perspective to always be mindful of others and be putting other people's, you know, thoughts and well-being ahead of, you know, whatever's happening in my head. Um, and as far as the wings are concerned and, and, growth there is, you know, if I'm going into something that's, you know, the leisure activity, if I'm listening to music or watching TV, what are my motivations there? Am I avoiding something? Because I think that it's easy for us fives to kind of go into the seven world when we're just avoiding, you know, there's some big problem that we don't want to wrap our heads around or it's stressing us out. And so let's just avoid it. And like, go, go out to the bar with some friends or, or something like that. So what are, what's really happening, um, is important. And then, you know, going into AIDS, that's more of that being more in tune with the heart and the, the gut and that sort of thing to be able to trust when you don't know, but you're feeling something to take a stand and to be more decisive and make, take, you know, take chances, take risk and say like, I have, I don't have this figured out, but I'm going to go with it because it feels right. And I think when I'm doing that in a healthy way, I'm, I, I'm going more towards the eight. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what comes to mind with, with growth. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Probably if I, if I can track back to some of the experiences I had, I, I think probably for me, growth started with leaning into the four. And, and really feeling deeper emotions and really allowing myself to be sad, allowing myself to grieve um, some of the things that I, was, I really needed to work through out of my childhood and out of my life and some of the major losses um, from what it meant to be a five and, and some of the things that I experienced. To be able to grieve that, that sense was really important. And it really allowed me to feel some anger about things. And anger really has been an important part of my journey as I've allowed myself to grieve and feel sadness and feel some of those deeper four emotions. It's allowed me to be angry about things and to be angry about situations. And that anger has helped me draw boundaries, which allows me to move into that sick side of trusting myself more and thinking through things and engaging other people and building a team of people around me and allowing people to have access to my life. And giving a sense of access to, to being able to engage other people and giving energy to that. And, and probably as I was trying to do those things and living into those moments, I, I allowed myself to draw boundaries and to say, this is what I want. I'm not going to wall you off, 
but this is me learning how to let you have an appropriate place in my life. So you get 20 seconds today, or you get 20 minutes, or you get two hours, but I get to decide that, and I'm learning the skills to make those functional in my life. And as I felt, as I felt deeper emotions, as I've allowed more people and support into my life, and as I've been able to draw individual boundaries and do that, that's given me a greater sense of joy and open to that seven spot and to be able to have fun. Um, and not, you know, fives, uh, most of the fives I know, Richie, you may be the exception. We notoriously take ourselves way too seriously. And, and that's a part of our protection. And it's a part of us reaffirming our own, probably our own place in the world. Like you need to take us seriously, even though nobody ever did when we were kids, probably. But, but that fun of laughing, of being spontaneous, of showing up, like all that builds. And so I feel like I'm probably in the healthiest place I've ever been in my life. I have more energy than I've ever had in my life. I'm drawing better boundaries than I've ever been able to do in my life. I'm less walled off. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm scared to death all the time. And yet in the midst of that, I'm finding greater courage. And, and that's been the gift of all that. Tell me if that was helpful. I don't. Yeah. Incredibly. Yeah. I want to, I want to just uh, close this out and sure. ask if there's anything that we haven't covered that you want people to know about you about type five in general, um, working with, loving, living with a type five, um, anything that we've not covered that you feel like is important to share? I think one thing that comes to mind um, is that when I look at the Enneagram through the lens of being a type five, uh, it's, it's a tool and it's helpful but it's not something that's going to define the complexities that make up me as a person. And so uh, one thing that I heard um, Hillary McBride say in a podcast once was that she's very hesitant to ever tell anybody her Enneagram number because she doesn't want somebody to define her as that. They, she wants somebody to see her for who she is. And man, did that resonate with me. And I, I'm, I'm often hesitant to disclose that information. Maybe I'm wanting to, that's my fiveness, wanting to hoard stuff. And I'm wanting, you know, I, but I do see incredible value in the Enneagram and, you know, from a learning more about myself and how I function uh, perspective. But I do want people, you know, and if you know a five, it's important that you see them for all the complexities and uniqueness uh, that makes them who they are. And, um, yeah, we're, and we oftentimes are little ducks where above the water, we're nice and calm and we might look that way, but underneath the water, our little feet are kicking and going absolutely crazy. <laughs> There's a lot going on <laughs> under the water. Chris, close this out. Anything else you want to share? I, I think what I would say is, um, if you're, if you know a five or you're in a relationship with a five or you work with a five. Don't don't underestimate how much energy and how much of a commitment it takes for them to try to show up. And 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 that when we're in personality and we're just doing our best, um, we don't see we don't see ourselves like you see us from the outside. But when we show up for a relationship or when we show up for a job or when we show up to something, when we're in personality, that takes a lot for us to do. And, and until, and sometimes it takes a minute 
for us to 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 really recognize that. So I, I would just say if you've got a five in your life and they're showing up for you in some way, just know that that is something that they're not taking lightly mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of energy going into for them. And I think if you appreciate that, that that's a good start in a relationship with a five. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I am still not sure what my son is, but it's so interesting. Like I see like what you all are talking about and sharing so much played out in him. And there's so many moments. He's 15 now, but he would be by himself or be in his room. And as a two, I'm interpreting that as I'm a bad mom. Like I, I need to attach. (laughs) And I think the more that there's attaching happening, the more it's like, Mm. So it's a really interesting dance, um, I think, for a lot of us with the fives in our lives. So I just want to thank you guys. This has been um, enlightening. I feel like I've learned a ton. Um, I I feel reinvigorated to go and uh, pick up our dear teacher's book and read about the type five a little bit more. Um, and I just am, I feel really grateful that you all have shared yourselves, your stories, and your time here with with us this morning. So thank you. Can I say one more thing? Yes. About your son. What I, what I, what's worked well for me in my life and what I've seen work with other fives is as a heart type, you know, coming in saying to your son, listen, I'm here. If you need me, I'll be in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have this conversation when, and if you're ready and they may come out and have that conversation, they may not, but sometimes just an invitation and an assurance that you're going to be there. And there's good boundaries around that. That makes that's made me and other fives that I've talked to feel safer with people and more likely to engage. Now, whether that will happen or not, I don't know, but so just I can't, I can't do a flyby every five minutes. Are you good? Are you good? Are, are, no. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk. I know. Cause what for you feels like been forever is like a second. Right. Oh, this is why I love the Enneagram, man. You know, there's so we see the world through so many different lenses um, and it gives us a glimpse into how others, um, how others see it that we would never think about. So thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you all, both of you. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Thanks. Thanks very much for the invitation. It was great. Great talking with you as well, Chris. Yeah. It's great to meet you, Richie. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so honored to have you with us. Shelly has a few remaining slots for her coaching services. If you'd like to check out all the details at bigselfschool.com backslash coaching. We'll see you next week.